0: Good morning. Good morning. morning. And thank you very much for coming out this morning, uh, especially since it is a Saturday, and it is a beautiful Saturday, uh, so I appreciate very much you uh, taking your time to be here this morning, and uh, I'm honored uh, to have been invited to this conference to come and speak and to minister to you. Uh, thank you for those of you that put effort into uh, making this such a wonderful success, and all of the hard work that went into setting everything up. And action. I mean, I mean this, is, this is done excellently. Uh, and I'm very glad and happy to to be here. I s- heard someone cheer earlier. When Columbia Bible College was mentioned, okay. Oh, and uh, were you in the seminary or the Bible College? Seminary. Okay. All right. So I was there from eighty-seven to ninety. Uh, you were there. Eighty-nine. S- you were there. At Eighty-nine. Yeah, 89. Uh, okay. All right. So we'll chat afterwards <laughs> and see if uh, see if we know anyone in common. So there's a children's game that is played in a a swimming pool. I didn't grow up with a swimming pool, but but I know of this game. It's called Marco Polo. It's a pretty simple game. Uh, One child will close their eyes, and they will say Marco, and then there will be other children in the pool, and they will say Polo, and the way that you try to find the other children is you listen to where the voice is coming from, and then you move in that direction. Uh, it's, uh, It's called Marco Polo. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have today to open the Bible. Lord, we want to acknowledge, first of all, that thy word is truth. Uh, We want to thank you, dear Lord, that you loved us so much that you communicated to us in written form through the Bible. We want to acknowledge today that Jesus is Lord. We want to, with one heart today, uh, say that we love you. And, Father, I would ask for the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, to be very real this morning. Please empower me and strengthen me as I speak. Lord, please give me uh, liberty of thought and liberty of speech. I would pray also, Lord, that you would please give me uh, compassion for the people that I am speaking to and help me, dear Lord, not just to be reading words off a page, but, Lord, please, enable me to bring to them uh, the word of life and lord i pray for each of them as uh, lord uh, there are four sessions this morning and i would pray that you would make everyone attentive and that you would give them strength i pray lord that the things which are being presented today would be interesting and lord not only that we would listen uh, and be engaged mentally but lord more than that i pray that we would leave this place being doers of the word You enable enable us, Lord, please, to be different after leaving here today, uh, having engaged with your word this morning. So, Lord, we commit these things to you, and especially, Lord, even now as we consider the subject of encouragement, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us, Lord, to become encouragers. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, 11 years ago, my oldest son left home. For his senior year of high school, he moved from New York to Georgia, where my wife's parents live, and he moved for two reasons. First of all, he moved uh, for educational reasons because he wanted to become a resident of the state of Georgia so that he could get in-state tuition. The second reason why he moved is he wanted to just once in his life experience what it would be like to play high school football. And so uh, after arriving, having never played football before and realizing that it was a little bit tougher than he thought it was going to be, uh, he was somewhat discouraged. And so I, as a good father, uh, did something for him in order to encourage him, and that is that I purchased three used, inexpensive DVDs, and I (laughs) mailed them to him. And the three DVDs that I sent him were Rocky, Rudy and the Pursuit of Happiness. Now, if you, have seen, if you have seen one of these movies, you have seen all of them, because they are all basically the same movie. It's a story of someone who's receiving no encouragement from the outside, and then they receive encouragement from themselves. They pick themselves up, and they press on to success. Unfortunately, in the church, Sometimes we treat one another as if we were Rocky Balboa. That, that you should be expected to pick yourself up. You should be expected to help yourself pursue on in godliness and in holiness. And we don't give one another encouragement. Yet the Bible, a God in his wisdom, knows that we need encouragement. And so he writes in his word a command... And that is that we are to encourage one another and to build one another up. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen, please, as I read verses 9 through 11. The Apostle Paul starts off by writing, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Now, I'd like you to notice some things about this text. First of all, with respect to the doctrine of encouragement, I want you to know that when you are an encourager, and, and to encourage means that you come alongside someone, <coughs> literally come beside them for the purpose of helping them along. When you are an encourager, you are godly. Uh, the reason I say that is because the word here in the text, the Greek word in the text here, is uh, parakaleo. And by the way, that is the that is the uh, correct mispronunciation of that Greek word, <laughs> Parakleo means to come alongside. It's, it is it is also a derivative uh, of the word that we find in the upper room discourse when our Lord, on the night in which he was betrayed, is speaking to his disciples, and he speaks about the Comforter uh, who will come, who is the Holy Spirit, and the word there that is used is paraclete or paracletos. So So when we come alongside someone and we encourage them, we are like the third person of the Trinity in that we are, and and so therefore we are, godly. Uh, Another way in which we are godly if we encourage is that we are like God the Father, because in Romans chapter 15, verse 5, God is referred to as the God of endurance and encouragement. So our Heavenly Father is a God of encouragement. If he is an encourager and we are his sons and we look like him, we are, we are godly. There's another feature that I want you to see in the text here, and that is that Paul is brilliant in the way that he presents this, and, and, and there's some irony involved here, and that is that he commands them to be encouraging, but at the same time, he encourages them. And he does it with that tiny little phrase, Uh, at the end of verse 11, where he says, just as you are doing. And so he's telling them, you be an encourager. You build one another up and encourage one another. And then he adds this little tag, this tag of encouragement. Just as you are doing. You're doing a good job. Keep doing it, but I want you to be encouraged because you are doing a good job. Um, But the main thing that I want you to see From the text which which just jumps out above all other things is that the doctrine the biblical doctrine of encouragement is rooted in the gospel I I mean notice how Paul makes the argument the first thing he tells us which is really good news which is really encouraging is that we are not going to hell Uh, there will be some people who are in hell there is a hell it is not empty however God has not destined us for wrath. We are not going to hell. But, by contrast, Paul says, God has destined us to obtain salvation. And what is the means of the salvation that we are to obtain? It is through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He now moves even deeper into the means by which we are not going to hell, but we are going to be in heaven and that is through our Lord Jesus Christ, and here is the gospel. The gospel is of first importance. He speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Uh, what this means is, is that you are held deserving um, both by nature and by choice, but God has done something wonderful for you in that he sent his Son from heaven to earth to be born uh, Through the Virgin to live a sinless life, to live perfectly for you, and then to take your sin and to go to the cross and to there upon that cross be crushed, to take your sin and to be crushed by the Father. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And so in light of the fact that Jesus has died for us, Paul goes on to say, who died for us so that... It really doesn't matter what happens in this life. Ultimately, whether we are awake or asleep, whether we whether we continue to live on or whether we die, it just is inconsequential in the end because in the end, we might live with him. And therefore, based upon and anchored in and propelled by the gospel in light of the gospel, what you are to be doing is you are to be talking to one another And you are to be encouraging one another and building one another up. Uh, Ultimately, everything that can be said to one who is in their final destination going to be in heaven is encouraging. Uh, The things are going to be bad between now and then. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's what Job says. But ultimately, when you get to the end, it it is encouraging because we are going to be in bliss, in heaven, with the Lord forever. And so therefore, in light of the fact that in the end, we are going to be with the Lord, we are to build one another up and to encourage one another. Uh, Conversely, I can't ultimately think of anything to say to anybody who is ultimately going to be damned, which would be of... Substantive encouragement. I mean, the, the the plane is about to go down. The pilot has said all of the engines have, have have just braced for a crash landing. We are going down. You can't turn to the person beside you and say, "Aren't these peanuts refreshing?" Or uh, <laughs> are you enjoying your movie? There's nothing that can be said to someone who ultimately is going to be in hell, which is of any encouragement at all. But anything that is going to, that is regarding someone who's going to be heaven in heaven can be encouraging. And so I want you to see, above all other things, that this doctrine of encouragement is rooted in the gospel. So what I'm going to do uh, in the time that remains is I'm not going to be giving you uh, a pep talk. This is not a halftime speech. This is not a pat on the back. This is not how to win friends and influence people. This is not uh, a motivational speech. I'm not going to teach you how to flatter people or to manipulate people or to catch more flies with with honey than with vinegar. This is not a Tony Robbins seminar. This is a gospel driven doctrine of encouragement. And, And so if, for whatever reason, as you're considering the subject of encouragement, you have not Locked in to what has been said up to this point, you're really going to miss the heart and the motive and the drive behind it all, and that is that it is anchored in the gospel. And and as you think about this, objectively, I'm not speaking now about our experience or how we feel, but if we just look at our lives objectively, there really are many reasons to be encouraged. For starters, we have Bibles. Uh, The God who spoke the world into existence has, for reasons only known to him, chosen to reveal himself and to communicate with us, and so we have the Word of God. Uh, That, in and of itself, is, apart from any other person doing anything for you, uh, you should be encouraged because you have the Word of God. Uh, you are also uh, to be encouraged and you should be encouraged in light of the fact that you have been joined to Christ. I mean, I mean, your sins have been forgiven and your name is in the book of life and you have been reconciled to God and, and, and you have been justified and you're in the process of, of being sanctified and ultimately one day you're going to be glorified. But even more than that. You have been joined to Christ, and as you study the doctrine of union with Christ, now the Father loves you even as he loves the Son. You are united to Christ. Uh, We have all of these things going for us. So you would think with, with the Word of God and the love of God and all that we experience in salvation that, that all people who call themselves Christian would always be encouraged. But you know that that is not the truth. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is not the truth. And God, in His infinite wisdom and in His love for His people, has instructed us In addition to all of these objective, wonderful truths that he has given us, in addition to that, he has told you to talk to one another. And when you talk to one another, you are to encourage one another. And so as you look at this, just speaking objectively, not in the real world, but just just objective truth, there really is no valid reason to ever be discouraged. Or as Fanny Crosby wrote, in what a friend we have in Jesus, we should never be discouraged. I agree with that statement. We really never should be encouraged. So then why do we, we never should be discouraged. So why, why, yeah, why why in the world, just want to make sure you're paying attention. Uh, so, uh, So why then are people discouraged? Well, first of all, we live in a very discouraging world. Uh, Your biggest problem is that you live with you, and you uh, always talk to you, and when you talk to you, uh, you do not encourage you, but you discourage yourself. Uh, Paul says that I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing, and then you have an enemy, an adversary, the devil, who's roaming about looking for someone to devour, and then you have... Uh, perhaps someone in your family who is discouraging you. You don't get built up in the home, but you get discouraged or you get put down in the home. And then there's the world that we live in. I mean, we are here with one another today and we are singing these glorious songs about Christ and then you're going to come to church tomorrow and you're going to be built up because you're going to be with the saints, but then you're going to go to work on Monday and you're going to be in the shop or in a cubicle or in an office next door to someone who will be Using foul language, taking the Lord's name in vain, speaking of things which are not in line with the word of God. And you're going to listen to it Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. That will have a discouraging effect upon your soul. Uh, many of you have televisions. I have a television. Turn on your television and, and, and just watch a half an hour. Then it doesn't matter which network you're watching. Watch a half an hour of television and you will be spiritually discouraged. Uh, And then there are other reasons why people are discouraged. There are circumstances which would cause people to be discouraged. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you are struggling financially. Maybe, for some inexplicable reason, you've been hit with a bout of depression, which you just can't figure out. But nonetheless, you are very discouraged by that and maybe some of you are struggling with illness or sickness in your body. Maybe you, you, you have some sort of an infirmity which is always getting you down. We have many uh, influences from the outside which are, are, are working together in concert to make us discouraged. So <laughs> if you look at it now, just, you know, if you're just kind of doing the math and you say, okay, God loves me and he has sent Jesus to die for me. I'm going to be in heaven. We have the church and in the church God has commanded us to come together and to talk to one another and to encourage one another and to build one another up and in light of all of the things which are happening to us by way of discouragement. Certainly we can sympathize with one another, and when we see one another, what we would do is we would talk to one another, and we would try to build one another up in the faith. It it seems pretty simple. I mean, we, we need encouragement. God commands us to be encouraging. So it would seem like when we come together, we would be encouraging one another. Why is it then that so many people struggle to be good encouragers? I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, I think one of them is that uh, people who have never been encouraged don't know how to encourage. So about 20 years ago I was preaching a sermon at my church and I I think that that morning I was talking about the love that God the Father has for his son uh, where the Father says from heaven, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so as an illustration in that sermon, I took my son, uh, Parker, who at the time was eight years old, and I brought him up front. And I stood him in front of me. And I said, Parker, I want you to know that I love you. And I am pleased with you. And I am delighted that God has given you to be my son uh, Parker, I want you to know that I love you, and I want all of these people to know that I love you. And I wanted to make it—I ve- want to make it very public right now. I love you. Now, now go sit down. And then I preached the rest of the sermon. That 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 illustration was just <laughs> a very tiny piece of the beginning of the sermon. It didn't really. I mean, I didn't think much of it. It was just kind of something to get people's attention and sort of to illustrate the point. I didn't think much of it, and as I was standing at the door that morning, there was a woman who walked by, and she was she was north of eighty-five. I mean, she was she was she was not young, and this was a very unemotional woman. This was a woman who um, I, 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 she didn't really show much emotion ever at all. And as she walked out that morning, she shook my hand, and uh, tears were rolling down her cheeks. And she said to me, "Uh, Pastor, uh, when you brought that boy up there this morning, uh, that broke my heart, Uh, she said, because my mother and father lived and died, and never once did either one of them ever tell me that they loved me. So I think it would be hard to be an encourager if you yourself have never been encouraged. Uh, Other people uh, are not encouragers because they, they think that it is a form of flattery or it's a form of manipulation and because they themselves have either uh, seen people manipulate them, or they've seen manipulation or flattery used in a, in a, in, a, in a bad way. Therefore, they want to make sure that in their interactions with others, that they are not uh, flattering them, or they're not or they're not using some sort of manipulation. Um, other people do not encourage uh, simply because they are in pain and and they are hurting, and so they. It doesn't even cross their minds to think about other people because they themselves are hurting so much. If that's the case with you, I really would like you to consider the Lord Jesus Christ, for never has a man ever hurt more than our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, as he is hanging upon the cross, uh, we have seven statements from him, and in those statements, he uses the few words that he has left to encourage others. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, Woman, behold your son. Uh, John, here's my mother. Would you take care of her? Uh, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Nobody's ever hurt like Jesus hurt, and yet he uses the words that he has to encourage. Uh, There are other people who do not encourage simply because they are so self-absorbed that really never crosses their mind uh, to think about how someone else is feeling. Uh, that they are just so madly in love with themselves uh, that they don't think to speak to anyone else. And then there are other people who do not encourage, it's because they are jealous. And basically it goes like this, if I acknowledge that something good is going on in someone's life, well that is going to give them the upper hand, it's going to make them look good, And I really don't want them to look good because I would never admit it, never admit it. But I am envious of them. I am jealous of them. And there are a million other reasons why people do not encourage. But what does encouragement look like? Well, let me tell you a Bible story. Here's the Bible story. It's about a man by the name of Joseph. Now, you probably don't know him by the name of Joseph, He appears in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, for the first time. And and you know him better by the name of Barnabas. Uh, So let me tell you about this man, Barnabas. He's born in Cyprus. He's from the tribe of Levi. He's a Jew. He, at some point, moves to Jerusalem. And when he moves to Jerusalem, apparently he does well in business because he has enough money to buy a piece of land. And he gets saved, he's in the early church, and he is such an encourager that he gets a nickname, and the nickname comes from the apostles, and they say, we're not going to call you Joseph anymore, we're going to call you Barnabas, which is interpreted son of encouragement. And so there he is in the early church, this man Barnabas, and he is an encourager, so much so that they basically change his name to Encouragement. How, how did Barnabas display encouragement to the saints there in the early church? Well, first of all, um, he gave them money. And if you don't think that money can be a form of encouragement, just try being poor and let someone give you money and you will find out what an encouragement it can be. So, so there they are in Jerusalem, He's got a piece of land, he sells the land, and he takes all of the money, unlike Ananias and Sapphira, he takes all the money, and he lays it at the apostles' feet, and he says, here, please use this for uh, the distribution of help to the widows, or whatever else you need it for, Um, uh, my land is now sold, and the money is here, and that is an encouragement to the church. The second way in which we see Barnabas being an encouragement is in the life of Saul of Tarsus. You remember Saul of Tarsus. He is a, he is a, uh, a Christ-hater and a Christian killer. He's on his way to Damascus uh, with letters to have Christians arrested and then brought back to Jerusalem where they would be tried and then executed, and, and he is blinded by the light, and, and he hears the voice of the Lord, and he goes into uh, Damascus, and he's blind for three days, and then Ananias comes to him and prays for him, and, and, and he receives his sight. And then he begins to boldly preach the gospel in Damascus, and he has to escape out of a, out of a, the side of the wall in a basket, and he's let down. And then 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 Paul disappears for three years, and 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 he finally wants to come back to Jerusalem, where the mother church is, where the apostles are, and he shows up in Jerusalem. And when he does, the disciples would not meet with him. The church would not meet with him because they were afraid of him. They thought that it was a trick. And so he is rejected from having fellowship in the church at Jerusalem. Now, if ever you go to join a church and initially you are turned down in a membership interview, please consider that you are in good company because the greatest Christian who ever lived didn't pass his membership interview when he first went to <laughs> Jerusalem. How is it, however, that he did get an audience with the disciples? It was the son of encouragement, Barnabas, who went to the disciples and said, it's not a trick. He really is one of us. He has seen the Lord. And what happened then is that Paul went met with the disciples, and for 15 days stayed in Jerusalem and preached boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to become the greatest Christian that ever lived, and certainly the greatest missionary that ever lived. How is it that he got his start, so to speak? It was through the doctrine of encouragement. And what was the source of that encouragement? Well, it was Barnabas. Fast forward to Antioch. At the church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are there at the same time. The Holy Spirit puts his <coughs> finger on Paul and Barnabas and sets these two apart to go on what we call the first missionary journey. They are sent out from Antioch, they go down to Cyprus, they preach the gospel there, and then they head north up into city and Antioch, and then further north even up into the Roman region of Galatia, and they are doing miracles, and they are planting churches, and the gospel is spreading like wildfire. And for some reason, some unknown reason, out of nowhere, in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, Luke, the author, writes that they had a traveling companion by the name of Mark, or John Mark, and for some inexplicable reason, he leaves and goes home. But Paul and Barnabas continue to take the gospel into the Galatian region, and they visit the churches, and then they revisit the churches, and then they come back down to Antioch, and then they realize that there is this dispute over in Jerusalem about whether or not Gentiles need to be circumcised so they go over to Jerusalem and they settle the the, 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 the dispute about circumcision for, for for gentiles and then they come back to Antioch and they're at the church at Antioch and Paul says you know what I think we need to go back and visit the churches that we've planted and Barnabas says you know what I think we need to go back and visit the churches that we planted and Barnabas says let me get John Mark and we'll be on our way and Paul says oh no no we're not, we're not bringing him. He quit on us the first time. He's not going to have that opportunity again. And the dispute between the two of them was so strong that they themselves parted ways. Paul took a new partner and went north with Silas. And Barnabas came alongside John Mark and they went back down to Cyprus. Now... I am not here today to settle the dispute as to who was right and who was wrong. If I had to, if I had to, uh, to bet, if I had to decide, I think Paul probably at the time was the one that was right. And I say that for two reasons. First of all, Paul was commended to the grace of God. And secondly, Luke follows Paul. He, he doesn't follow Barnabas. But even but I'm, not, but, I'm, but I'm not here to pass judgment at this point. Even if I'm wrong, and whether I'm right or wrong really isn't the point today, what happens at the end of Paul's life uh, when you get to the last book that he ever writes, in the last chapter of the last book that he ever writes, he is in a Roman prison, and he pulls out his quill and his parchment, and he is writing to young Timothy, and, and Paul is in h- horrible conditions at that point. He is about to die And with his final words in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says to young Timothy, When you come, I want you to bring Mark. I want you to bring John Mark with you, not just because he's a good guy, but he is profitable to me for ministry. How did this guy, who was a quitter, who was not even worthy to go on the second missionary journey, how did he then, in the estimation of Paul, become one who, at the end of his life, he wanted to see who was profitable to Paul for ministry? I'll tell you how it happened. It happened through the doctrine of encouragement through the person of Barnabas. And you say, well, what difference does all of this make? Well, I think for people who were hungry, I don't know if you've ever been hungry, but I think for people who are hungry, the food that they were able to eat because of the money which Barnabas gave was an encouragement to them. I don't know about you, but like every once in a while, I like to read Romans or 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. I like to read the 13 letters of Paul. I like to read the book of Acts and see what the Lord did through Paul. But do you understand that, humanly speaking, without Barnabas, there is no Paul? If Paul is ultimately rejected (coughs) in Jerusalem, Paul doesn't become Paul. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I like to pick up the Bible and read the book of Mark. Do you understand, without the ministry of encouragement... Mark doesn't become Mark, the Mark who wrote the second book of the New Testament. There is great value in encouragement. So what does it look like in the here and now? So what I'm about to share, I I, I do not share um, by way of exaggeration, and I'm certainly not going to share what I'm about to share uh, in any way to, to be funny. It might be humorous, but I'm not doing it uh, to get a laugh. But I can tell you the truth that I was, uh, as a child, the worst child that I have ever known. And I've known some horrible children. I've, I've been, I've been a, a, a pastor now. I've been in the ministry for, for 35 years, and I have, some, I have known some, some real hellions, but I was I was the worst. There were some bad ones, but I was the worst. Uh, back in 2014, my aunt died. She was almost 99 years old, and when you're 99, um, you know you, you you don't have a lot of people that come to your funeral because you've gone to their funerals. <laughs> and uh, but but at my aunt's funeral, uh, my Sunday school teacher from when I was a child was there, and the the reception to follow was in a gym, and it was a large gym, and this woman really couldn't walk. She just kind of could shuffle, and and she she makes her way across the gym to speak to me. And I thought to myself, well, this is so sweet. Here, here she comes to, to say <laughs> hello to me. And she looked at me, uh, and she said to me, you're the worst child that ever attended this church, and and, and, and and that's all she had to say. It's not like it's not like there was a but or we're so glad to see how you turned out. It's just like you're the worst child that ever. I mean, she's using what few steps she has left on planet Earth to make her way across to tell me how horrible I, I was, and and that was it. That was the conversation. Um, when I was in the when I was in the sixth grade. Um, Uh, Back then, in school, you used to have a teacher's desk that was up front, and then the students would sit in rows, and the teacher would actually teach the children. Now, uh, the children all face one another, and they all teach each other, but that's another sermon for another day. (laughs) But back then, you would be taught by the teacher, and the students would sit there, and the teacher would sit here. In sixth grade, Mrs. Fishel sat right here, and my desk was right beside her, <laughs> facing the students. Why? Because I could not be released into general population. I, but, but again, I was that bad. I was completely out of control. Uh, I can remember when we went on our first youth trip. And so in order to prepare for that, we all went over to the pastor's house and as we sat around getting our instructions, I just remember very distinctly, it was a, it was a Sunday night, he had a long white sleeve shirt on, uh, a, a long sleeve white shirt on, uh, he had taken his tie off, he's, he's sitting uh, in a chair, I'm sitting in the room, I can see it, Like I can envision it. He, he, he points his finger at me, and by name says to me, anymore, I better not have to come get you. Now, why didn't he say that to the other students? He didn't have to say that to the other students. I was the only one who possibly could have been kicked out. And my reputation was such, I had earned that reputation. I was the worst child that that church had ever produced. And then something happened to me when I was 16 years old. And that is that I was arrested by the grace of God and I was brought from darkness to light, and God was pleased to reveal Himself to me through the glorious gospel. And I was brought to life. And when I was brought to life, I was given by God this intense, radical love for Jesus Christ. And all I wanted to do was to be with the people of God. And all I wanted to do was sing God's praises. And all I wanted to do was read God's word. And all I wanted to do with all of my heart was just to serve in the church. And I didn't care what the job was. I just wanted to be around the people of God. And I just wanted to serve in the church. But I had a problem. And the problem was is that I was Eddie Moore. And there was no one who actually believed that my conversion was real. And there was no one that would ever actually take me seriously when it came to the things of God. Nobody except for one guy. And, uh, and his name was Jerry Hoover. Um, <clears throat> Jerry Hoover was a, a hippie, not a hipster, okay? <laughs> he was a hippie uh, with, the, with the real ripped jeans. Um, he, 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 he lived a wild life in the 1970s, um, grew his hair long, uh, didn't have a, 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 a clean appearance, and, and the Lord saved him. Uh, when the Lord saved him, Uh, Immediately, his wife left him, and he was left by himself to raise his two small children. And so you didn't really have, back in those days, what you would call a youth pastor, but he was the 1970s equivalent of a youth pastor, and here's what he did for me. He encouraged me. He came alongside me, and he would read the Bible with me, and he would teach me the Bible, and he would pray with me, and he would pray for me, and he would rebuke me, and he would instruct me, and he was someone, and he was the only one in the church that would, that would do this. He came alongside me to disciple me. Uh, I, I can remember the date. I can remember exactly where I was. It was Thursday February 2nd, 1978, I was, a, I, was a, I was a wrestler in high school, and and, and I was, uh, that night, uh, Du Bois, I grew up in Du Bois, Pennsylvania, it's over in the, 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 the western half of your state up on Interstate 80, and that night, we were wrestling Brockway, and I was wrestling Frank Baraschetti, and Frank's dad was a garbage man, and he was tough, and I, and I was very nervous. I was, I'm just a <laughs> nervous person to begin with, but I was very nervous. That night, and so I went home after school, and I picked up the phone, and I called Jerry. And and guess what he did? He 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 picked up the phone. He picked up the phone, and I said, Jerry, I'm very I'm very nervous right now about about this match tonight. I'm very very worried. I'm I'm very distraught. And he said, Okay, take your Bible and turn to John chapter fourteen, verse twenty seven. And so I opened my Bible and I read the words in which Jesus said, Peace I give unto you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives uh, unto you, but my peace. Let not your heart be troubled and neither let it be afraid. And, And you know what, brothers and sisters? If I were to see Jerry today, we would probably be in different galaxies theologically. And I understand that, that in the upper room discourse, that, that this, is, this is bad hermeneutics, that Jesus doesn't have in mind there a wrestling match which is going to take place in Western Pennsylvania at the end of the, the 20th century. I understand that this is bad hermeneutics. I understand that. But you know what else I understand? I understood that he pointed me to the holy scriptures and that every time I have been nervous or worried for the last 41 years, where my mind has immediately gone has been to John 14, 27. But more importantly than turning me to the scriptures, he turned me to Jesus Christ. And I was directed to my Savior to look to him and to claim to him. And for the last 41 years, it has been my practice, when I don't know what to do, is to <laughs> go to Jesus. Why is that true? It's because one guy simply took the time to pick up the phone and to take a a nervous, frightened, uh, wild young man who loved Jesus Christ and to simply point him in the scriptures to the Savior. That's kind of what encouragement looks like. It doesn't have to be complex. You don't have to have a seminary degree in order to encourage people. So let me very quickly then just leave you with some examples of of how we are to encourage one another one way that you can encourage one another is simply to pray with people now I didn't say pray for them Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I said pray with them you certainly should pray for them but to pray with them quick story 2011 I'm having my right hip replaced uh, like a fool, on the night before the surgery, I went on YouTube, and I watched a video of it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. You don't need to see that. The next day, I'm preparing for surgery, and I'm in my little cubicle, and the man comes in to check off <clears throat> who I am and what is being done, and he said, all right, tell me your name. My name is Ed Moore. What are we having done today? Having my hip replaced, and where do you work? Just making sure he has the right guy." And he says, I work work at North Shore Baptist Church. He said, you're a pastor. He says, hold on one second. He steps outside the cubicle. He motions for a nurse to come. She comes to the cubicle. And he whispers, and he says to her, "It's a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) And I can see she looks to the left. She looks to the right, and she pulls the, the curtain. And she comes in and she says, Pastor, I want to pray for you. And she leans over and she puts her hands on me. And she prays the most beautiful, God-honoring prayer. And it was as if someone had taken a bucket of warm water and had poured it over my head. And the peace of God that passes all understanding was guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I've been a pastor since 1984, and I have prayed for thousands of people, and I never thought that it really meant anything. I just kind of thought it was my job, and that's the thing that you do. It wasn't until I myself was prayed for that I realized the ministry of encouragement that comes by, through, praying with people. And so when you see one another and you see that someone is down and you see that someone is distraught, it really doesn't take that much just to pull them aside and say, hey, can we pray together real quick? That is a great source of encouragement. Let me give you another one. Encouragement can, as I said earlier, come in the form of helping people financially. John the Baptist said, those who have two give to the one who has none. So I'm in seminary. I am as poor as can be. I am working uh, over on Broad River Road. I'm making $5 an hour renting apartments. I'm driving a 1976 Buick Skylark, a car of which my father said, Ed, take that car, wash it, and then burn it. Uh, <laughs> and it. It was it was a bomb. And and a deacon from the church that I went to called me up and said, I need to borrow your car. <laughs> How hard up would this guy need to be to, get to borrow my car? <laughs> he came to my job, got my keys, and came back an hour and a half later. And on that car, there were four new. Tires. I couldn't afford four tires. I, at Columbia Bible College, was eating that free cheese and and that orange juice, and, 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 and we were barely getting by. That, brothers and sisters, was 28 years ago. And as long as God gives me my mind, I will remember what it felt like to get four new tires put on my car. Someone's down and out. God has blessed you. You have the wherewithal to help someone else. It is a large encouragement to them to come alongside them and to lift them up in that way. Another way that we can encourage one another is to rebuke one another. You come alongside the person and then you tell them the truth. When they are going the wrong way, you bring them back. James says, let him know that he, who, who, who brings back a wanderer from the error of his way, saves a soul from death and covers a multitude of sins. Several years ago, long before we had GPS, there was a friend of mine in South Carolina who wanted to go to New York City, and he didn't really know how to read maps. And I said, this is just the simplest thing in the world. I said, all you have to do is to get on I-20 going east, and then you get on I-95 going north. Go as far as you can, and when you go as far as you can, you will be at the George Washington Bridge, you will be in New York City 20 east. 95 North. He got on I-20, and he drove, and he drove, and he drove, and he drove, and he he said, you know, I ought to have seen 95 by now. And so he pulled over to ask for directions. In Birmingham, Alabama. he He had gone the wrong direction. What does encouragement look like when someone is going in the wrong direction? You're doing a good job, you've got your hands on the wheel, you're checking your mirrors. No, encouragement means get off, turn around, go back. And I think with the privatization of American life, we don't get into other people's lives or close enough to them to say, hey, you're going the wrong way, turn around and go back. And then finally, finally encouragement means if you see something say something if you see something say something so i have a friend who's a young man who's a pastor we were at an event together he shared and after he shared i sent him a brief and i mean utterly meaningless text that said good job i'm proud of you six months later we're at another event together he preaches again, and as he finishes his sermon, two seconds I pull out my phone and say, "Man, you really did a great job this morning. I'm really proud of you. Uh, that that was, that was really helpful. And he pulls me aside immediately after getting the text, and he said, six months ago you sent me a text telling me that I did a good job. He said, and when you sent that, I showed it to my wife, and the two of us just stood there and wept. He said, because I do not have a Christian father, and I have never once ever had a man tell me that he was proud of me and that I did a good job. And he says, now you've done it again today, and I can't take it. I can't (laughs) take it because no one ever tells me that I have done a good job. And I am asking myself, why? Why are we so stingy (coughs) with our words? How hard is it? to look at someone and to see the grace of God in their lives, I'm not talking about manipulating them, I'm just saying that here is someone who was on their way to hell, but they've been rescued by the grace of God, and now there are evidences of grace in their life. Why do we not simply say, good job, or thank you? I mean, for crying out loud, if you go into a cheap diner, and as you are there, if your water glass is half-empty, and someone, not even the waiter or waitress, just a boss boy comes up and fills the glass from the middle to the top, you will turn to them, and you will say what? Thank you. Thank you. How in the world does your pastor or someone else who's teaching a Sunday school class labor in the Word of God and stand and faithfully bring the Word of God? I'm not even talking about being articulate. I'm not even talking about being dynamic. I'm just talking about being faithful. How in the world does someone faithfully feed your soul and then you walk out of church without even saying thank you or acknowledging that it even happened or someone watches your children in the nursery or or, or someone is, is struggling in life I mean here comes that single mother into the church and she's got three kids hanging on her and you know she's got a miserable life at home but she's doing the best that she can to get to the church And you see that the grace of God is at work in your life. Is it really that hard to look at someone and say, you know what? I have looked at what's happening in your life and I am encouraged. You need to be encouraged. You need to press on. You're doing a great job. Keep doing it. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Why can we not speak to one another and acknowledge one another and say to one another, thank you? Husbands, why can't you say that to your wife when she cooks you a meal? Ladies, why can't you say that to your husband when he goes and works a job? Why can't we say that to our children when we see something in them which is of the grace of God? Because you know what is happening here is basically, we are trying to get through this Christian life, and we have the world, and we have the flesh, and we have the devil, and it is nothing but discouragement. And we are trying to make our way through, and we are like children in a pool, with our eyes closed, saying, Marco, Marco, and there's silence, there's crickets. We don't know which way to go. We're not hearing anything. You know what we need to hear? We need to hear the brethren saying, Polo! polo come on this way here's the way walk ye in it we need to be talking to one another and building one another up paul anchored in the gospel writes to the church at thessalonica and he says doesn't matter whether you live or whether you die the circumstances aren't relevant because he died for us and we're ultimately going to be with him and we are not destined for hell so in light of this glorious gospel what you need to do is you need to talk to one another and to encourage one another and to build one another up. If you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you for this time we've had together <laughs> in your Word. And Lord, I pray that all of us would strive to be better, to be better, Lord, and encouraging one another because, Lord, you have certainly encouraged us Lord, help us now to build one another up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.